0: Do you guys want to pray for a second, just to? Yeah.
1: So, so one of the one of the things that I love about you, Aaron, is that I knew that you would ask that question. And <laughs>
0: ask so that so was, did I. So I,
1: did I, I. like, like, <laughs> no, but I, I'm not. That it's not a joke. Like, it's actually. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that you yeah. your intimate walk with the Lord is to put put Jesus in the center of everything. So, yes. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't
0: you pray for us, man? Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I'm thankful. Like on one level, just to have this time with, with Garrick and Barrett, just the fellowship, um, of being, uh, just living out this adventure with you in Europe where we, we feel the need for you. We don't exactly know what we're doing on a lot of days, but there are other things that we, we have gleaned some insights and, um, I just pray that this would, this time would be used by you to, Uh, help us maybe even clarify some thoughts that we have that could be useful in our own lives and ministries, but could also be helpful for whoever wants to listen. Um, I was just reminded that how you are the logos, you use words um, to shape and change hearts and minds. We want to point at least in part to your word during this time. And uh, I pray that you would bring scripture or examples, even from scripture to our mind when pertinent. Um, And, but also just use our words to, to build up believers, to maybe call some listener to the field. I I don't know how you want to use it, but I just know that I pray that we'd have the right heart, the right mindset. Um, We want to be filled with your spirit even now. And uh, yeah, we just, Want to do a podcast to the glory of God, and uh, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, whom we serve and love. Amen.
1: Garrick, I've got an idea. Let's have ourselves a podcast. Let's do it. All right, man. Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> we are bonjour, <laughs> means <laughs> bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> we yeah, are, we, are we are actually talk today. like that. <laughs> uh, we are honored today to have our good friend Aaron yes. Robinson, today, who serves as the national campus director of Agape France. Or how would you pronounce that in French, Aaron?
0: Agape France. France. Agape France. Yes.
1: Uh, <clears throat> it's, yeah, some I probably said that with a Swedish accent. All foreign <laughs> languages have now reverted. <laughs> chef sounding thing uh aaron robinson we've known each other for a very long time uh way back since probably probably next- about, yeah 2006 but i think probably would have met each other 2004-ish, yeah, like yeah, right, 2004 ish yeah yeah right so we've been in each other's lives for a long time mm-hmm. uh, we uh you are i have I'm looking forward to the fact that we have you on today because you are always a huge blessing in my life. I love the way that you look to the Lord in everything you do. I am constantly challenged by the way that you have a perspective uh, that we can always trust the Lord for big things. So I'm looking forward to it. I know, right? So don't (laughs) disappoint me. Otherwise, I'll just delete everything.
2: Yeah. I was gonna gonna second that just when I think of fruits of the spirit, you know, a guy who walks in the spirit. Aaron, Aaron Robinson is one of those guys from from North Dakota too I think he's the only person I know from North Dakota
0: and, and if you meet another one we're probably related
2: because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> otherwise no
0: one would choose to live there is that what you're saying? <laughs> you, you know how you know how in the the Blues brothers they go into that at one point when before they sing rawhide they they said well what kind of music do you play And it's like oh both we kinds. play both both kinds, <laughs> country and western <laughs> you know when you go to north dakota people have basically scandinavian roots so like yeah. i have norwegian roots so we said ufta and i'm like so you know what are your roots oh we've got both kinds we've got swedes and norwegian <laughs> <laughs> hey, them's, them's good people, them's yeah, good people. Yes. Well, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit of
1: your story, man? You, you live in Toulouse, France yes. with your wife and three
0: kiddos? Yep. Three kids, six, four, and two. Wow. Uh, Elijah, Olivia, and Isaac. Uh, my wife and I met over here in France. She actually, I, I came over in 2003. So this is, it'll be year 17 in September, which I cannot believe. Wow, that's uh, impressive. It's, wow. it's, it's crazy. Oh, I mean, holy. I still remember that first year so vividly and, and a lot of things in between, but it just goes by quicker and quicker. Um, and, and she came over um, a, a few years after that and then was here short term and then went back to the States and then came back long term. And that's when we were friends and then we became more than friends. And we've been married since 2011, very happily married to Tiffany. Uh, And uh, we, we love, we love what we're doing here. But, um, before that, so
1: how did you, yeah. How did you make it? How did
0: you make it from North Dakota Dakota. to, to to France to lose France? Yeah. And what
2: was the name of your, your, your high school, um, Mascot.
0: Mascot. Oh man. Okay. So I'll tell you. <laughs> Chris, it's yeah. a long,
2: That's a long way from Krustaph.
0: Okay. In France, you went a long.
2: You come. You've come a long way.
0: <sighs> exactly. Okay. That's funny you bring that. So I was born in the metropolis of Devils Lake, North Dakota, where uh, the high school mascot of Devils Lake was the. I'm not kidding. It was the Devils Lake Satan's. So I grew up cheering for. Awesome. <laughs> the state, give me an S. Give me a, it was like a little. The mascot was like this little devil with a pitchfork, breathing fire. Uh, um, and I think they changed. When I was thirteen, we moved to another huge town, Grand Forks. So well, it was like the second or third biggest city in in North Dakota, but there's only like fifty thousand people. So, um, but it's nice. that's right on the Minnesota, North Dakota border, and I. It's funny, I remember growing up, um, my parents we were churchgoers. and so uh, i I remember a time when um, we went to a Methodist church because that's kind of what my parents grew up going to at uh, growing up, and uh, I remember when I was eight years old, there was some missionaries that came to the church and were talking about wherever they were on missions to. And I remember praying as an eight-year-old going, I remember thinking, why would anyone want to leave North Dakota? <laughs> and I actually remember praying. You might've
1: been the only person <laughs> who ever said that.
0: <laughs> and then I remember praying afterwards, like, Lord, please don't make me a missionary. And for some reason, I remember that prayer. Like, so it's interesting awesome. you know, how the Lord, uh, the different, you know, things that you remember. And then when I was 13, I'm the oldest of three kids, and, and uh, let's see, I was 13. My youngest brother was like eight at the time, and uh, like, and my sister is a year younger than me. We moved, so kind of like a big age to move right in the junior high area time, mm-hmm. and my um, my family wanted to go to a church that had, you know, other young people. And so we ended up at an evangelical free church in Grand Forks, which is still a kind of main sending church of mine. And, and I God really used, that was like where I had my first taste of missions, like um, through the youth group there. I had just really a, a great youth group and in, let's see, it would be 1997, our church formed a partnership with the czech republic and we were like one of the first teams to go over that was my first missions experience and i remember thinking two thousand bucks like to go god (laughs) i mean i know god's big but i don't know if i could ever raise that much my my how times change right? (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah even that i i won't go down that rabbit trail but it was cool to see that was like my first experience of like trusting god with providing full-time support and it was really neat There was like 10 of us and one guy was having trouble raising his and just the the amount that everybody else had over the mark all pulled together was just enough for him to go so like it was Mm -hmm. and i just remember thinking that was my first experience of life in europe and then it just kind of snowballed from there. In a sense, I still never pictured myself as a long-term missionary, but it was kind of like my first taste of the world. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, um, God gave other opportunities down the, down the line. You, I'm trying to. to What do I skip to? So,
1: so, well, I mean, how did you end up you went, you did a, I don't don't even know, you did a short term thing with, with crew in France or how did, how did you end up in France? Yeah.
0: So that's, um, so after college, I moved to Minneapolis and I actually worked for three years before joining staff. And I had never spoken a word of French. I, you know, I spoke Spanish in high school. So like France was not on my radar at all. Um, But, Okay, I remember May of 2000, the last month of of school, and I remember thinking, I rem, I, I got a degree in communications. I was involved with crew all four years, and and really, um, it was neat to see the growth in my own life, and then just in the group, and um, wind build send was just kind of in me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, after mm-hmm. that, and I remember. I was a mission-minded person, feeling like God was calling me into the marketplace. That felt clear. And I remember thinking, I thought when you walk across the stage and get this diploma, like um, you're supposed to have life figured out, like where you're going, what you're gonna do. Who I thought I'd <laughs> be married by this time or have the, you know, some, someone in the pipeline. Or yeah. and, uh, and I remember feeling really desperate, <laughs> like, God, where do you want me to go? And this was a rare time in my life where I felt like he said, you know, write this down. I just was reading some random passage, but I felt this was clear. And I, I felt, I felt led to write down, you know, like to move to Minneapolis, work to pay off student loans for two or three years, plug in wherever you're at and um, uh, like into a church or whatever. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but use that time to pray and seek where I want you long-term. Yeah so long story short god eventually provided a job was able to pay off almost all my loans in that two and a half years um i was promoted quickly and um was starting to make a list i was like oh okay maybe get a new car or, or people are investing in things but there was something in me stirring like i just I I was a, I was a recruiter in an employment agency and I had also stayed involved with crew on a a volunteer basis in the twin cities in in Minneapolis St. Paul leading worship for a thing that they were doing with college students that grew to from nothing about 300 students coming every month. And I was starting to disciple the guys in the band. And I just remember thinking, I love what I'm doing (laughs) when I get together with these young men and, um, and I love my job too, but I felt frustrated that I couldn't share more. And I, mm-hmm. I did stay, get involved with Priority Associates a little bit too. The kind of the, yeah, um, I had a work. stint with Priority Associates.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I started it, and I we started it in uh, in Central Asia in the in the capital ah. city there.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, and and that was great too. I mean, so again, these are. I'm I'm sorry, this isn't a quick answer, but it was because of that um i mean i i just love witnessing to my co-workers and i love investing in these young guys and and then i got asked to lead worship for a staff singles conference for the upper midwest region and so i was like the only non-staff guy there and um this is how i got (laughs) france on the radar um so you know I was there, but I was so bad at the worship leading that I got replaced by the end of the week. I can't even remember how that happened, and I always just remember thinking,
1: "Man, that's, that's awesome."
0: Yeah, I was like, "Why am I here?" Because I'm like the only non-staff guy there.
1: Aaron, you you have to be you have to be pretty bad to. <laughs> Aaron's, Aaron's pretty for, good actually. For, I know you you <laughs> worship well, so I, that's I, yeah. But I mean, for for a for a. For an organization that loves its volunteers, you got to be just, you got to be stinking it up for them to pull you.
0: Yeah, I just don't That's know awesome. what it was. And I don't remember <laughs> everyone even thinking like saying to me, you like you're not on. It's just like somebody else got up there and started leading worship and then they kept doing it. So but I have a lot of experience leading worship and, you know, yeah. But, yeah. I, so well, Jason Falk was at that conference, and, and he was a guy I knew at, from Grand Forks. He was staffed there. I didn't know him that well, but we knew each other. And he and he was like, Aaron, I didn't know you were going to be here, but it's funny that you're here. Um, can we talk tomorrow? So I totally thought he was going to ask me for support. So, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I was the young yeah. professional. There's a joke in there somewhere. And, <laughs> <laughs> And so I was like, sure. And I was trying to pray. I was looking at my accounts and I was trying to be like, okay, Lord, you know, I want to be open if he asks or whatever. Well, he was sharing his vision for uh, going to Toulouse, France, and he was going to be one of the team leaders for the team in Toulouse, France. And right when he was getting to the page where I thought he was going to ask me for money, um, he was like, it's funny that you're here because over the last few few months, as I've been praying about this team, your name kept coming to mind. And little did he know, in those exact same months, I kept feeling like, am I in the job that I'm meant to be in forever? I like it. Wow. but And really and cool. things are going great in life in general. Like, I was a part of an awesome church. I, I love discipling his people. And I just, there was just so many awesome things going on, but there was just something in me. yeah. And then I just, I went home. And he's like, I just want to challenge you to join me in France. And I went home. Really cool. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And then I I had forgotten about that journal entry. And then I looked back and that weekend was a February. That was like the two and a half year mark. And on three year wow. on the three year mark, I was on a plane going to France and there was no plane. Wow. Wow. So well, uh, I knew I was supposed seven, to go just for one year. Yeah. Right. And then it Famous was last one more year and here I am seventeen. Yeah.
2: So you've so, never you've never actually worked professionally for crew in the United States. Correct. So is, and Barry, you're similar nor, too, you've never- yeah, yeah,
1: nor have I, yeah.
2: Yeah, nor, neither have I, like, so, so it's interesting, there's there's a, yeah, a significant group of people uh, who end up overseas who end up never doing any le- legitimate staff work in the U.S.
1: My, my first official crew meeting that I attended was um, my, um, basically, um, staff, what do you call that? When I joined staff, the first okay, day the I staff interview or whatever the yeah 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 that was the first thing I'd ever done with crew, so oh, I, really? I came through a I came through a church partnership. So oh I yeah, never you're the big uh, Grace Grace Bible. And,
0: yeah yeah yeah, oh so really, really
1: okay. cool deal there. Yeah yeah, um, I'm familiar with that. You know, it's 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 funny, Aaron, because you there's so many things that I, I could comment on about kind of the way you ended up in France, but what, one of them is is that sense of you know, you think, okay, it's just gonna be one year. And then something happens with missions. I don't know what it is, but I've seen it happen. It's, it doesn't happen to everybody. Obviously, lots of people leave the field or move on or whatever else. But I had a high school baseball coach. And you know, some real good wisdom is about to come when you start quoting your high school baseball coach.
0: Especially if he's from, uh, if it's a Texas uh, high school uh, coach.
3: Yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. There's, Rick, there's Rick, a whole Rick Carpenter, whole who, is a, who is a legend of high school baseball coaches. Um, but his son actually plays a third base for the uh for the Cardinals. And uh, anyway, oh, yeah. uh so this guy, really great coach, they'd won not while I was there, I got cut from the team. But anyway, for the short time I was on the team, uh they had just won the the state championship and, and he was coming back off of that and you know all excited to start the year. And he said, Guys, you know this is he grew up a farmer's kid, he's a big, thick country accent, boys. It's like when a dog gets a taste of chicken blood; it's all it can think about. All I want to do is win another. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. It's
1: kind of like it's kind of like when you oh, go yeah. overseas and you do yeah, missions. You've experienced you've experienced what the Lord does in a missions context and how the Lord stretches you. It is kind of, in that sense, the dog getting the taste of chicken yes. blood. You that's a terrible analogy for this, <laughs> but or rather gruesome for for missions. But but the point but the point being. <laughs> Um, This is now devolved into a Simpsons episode, apparently. Um, But but, I mean, it is that, right? I mean, the Lord does something in your life. It was Livingston who said after he returned to, we'll make this more sanctified, after he returned to England and he said, I'm going back. And everyone was like, but why? You've, You've made your way. You know, everyone respects you. You don't have to go back. And he says, you know, the, the haunting specter of the smoke rising from the from the huts of a thousand yes. villages and the African sun has blazoned itself upon my heart. I must return. Exactly. And I felt the same way when, you know, I was for a brief time overseas and uh, for a couple of years and then returned back to the US and went to do a secular job. And I wasn't very long into that. And I remember thinking to myself to quote another movie, this seems to be a serious misallocation of valuable resources. <laughs> I, I, not that I am so valuable to the Lord's, to the Lord's needs, but rather that I was in the wrong place. I,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, if I was lucky, I got a couple minutes of really in-depth conversation and that doesn't mean that people don't need to be involved with regular quote unquote jobs or whatever else. But for me, what was clear was I needed to be sharing the gospel and in a context that possibly no one else could, yeah. or there were fewer willing. Let's, yes. let's put it that way. Cause Europe, right. You didn't, this is actually what I was, eventually going to go get to you didn't step into so ministry in france did not did not start when aaron robinson hit the ground in toulouse
0: oh no no yeah that's yeah pretty sure that's that's correct <laughs> you mean in a crew sense or like in i mean obviously in- no
1: I, I, I would say i would say even in a crew sense but in general also right we have this sometimes i think so one of the things that comes up right so we talk a lot about missions in europe and mm-hmm. oftentimes we're all american and we can have this closed-minded perspective that, okay, things are going to change when I hit the ground because nothing really cool has been going on there. Yeah. And then you get here and you realize, well, God's been moving all along totally. for years and yeah. the faith of many Americans wouldn't exist had Europe, had many of those people of dedicated faith not left to to go to America.
3: Exactly.
1: So, so there, there is that reality, but it's always humbling to me, especially when, you know, you guys have some of the most amazing leadership i think uh that we have in europe i mean Mm -hmm. francis your national director every time i'm around him the guy oozes jesus and humility um and so it's just some of the cool things that are going on in france which you know most people may not realize and you've been you've had an opportunity to be a part of that
0: Mm. yeah and i i feel like the lord has taught me so much through the french people and and even just the french church i mean it, it goes like it's within agape but also outside of it like i yeah and i try to even encourage french believers about it. And I, they kind of uh sometimes they're surprised that an american might say certain like have certain perspectives but I, like um i felt convicted that the average french atheist for example has probably more of a heart for the poor and the oppressed than a lot of American Christians, just because yeah. I, I think you're in closer space, especially in cities, you're just you you see it up close. Yeah. And um and I think there's just a solidarity mind mindset in the culture. Um and uh I mean that challenged me in in the local church. Um I love because France has roots in uh, a lot of parts in Africa Mm -hmm. um, and also in the, you know, some Caribbean islands like Guadeloupe and Martinique and Haiti. Like when you go to church in France, it looks and feels very diverse. Because if some of those nations want to get some education, they have some opportunities to come and study in France. And so the, like, I mean, like I started the podcast, I'm from North Dakota, um, which isn't the most diverse ethnically like spot in America. <laughs> Sweden <laughs> <So>. and Norway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just, it, it was neat to go to a local church and just kind of see a little slice of heaven of people from mm. all different cultures together in Christ uh, and they probably don't realize how you know how, how rich that is. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Well, Garrick so me... and
1: I, Garrick and I, have mentioned that before, even on this podcast, of the richness of immigration to Europe. Um, Garrick, George, I, with I, was, yeah, Mike, with Joe you know, Schlie, was, another another wonderful Frenchman. Um, so, but uh, you know, uh, Garrick, I was actually talking to one of my staff just before we got on this uh, podcast, and we were talking about. I was I was sharing a little bit about the Stefan Pos book that, that I'm reading and Pilgrims and Priests and or Priests and Pilgrims I forget which way it is but he um we we were talking about the fact that you know you, the 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 story of Europe is really unwritten right now the story of everywhere is unwritten in some ways it's written of course because Christ will return and eschatology and all but the 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 story of what Europe the trajectory of Europe and this is something I've been reflecting on the last week is really unwritten. Because we don't really know how immigration is going to long term mm-hmm. change Europe and affect, specifically the church itself. Like you mentioned, in, in specifically France, how many uh, African and and uh, Caribbean cultures are coming in and strong, strong believers. We see the same thing in in um, in, in Sweden, and uh, so Garrick and I have, uh, have talked about that before. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and you miss it Definitely. if you think Europe is homogeneous or or it just has maybe a few immigrants or something like that but really it's cool to see what's going on in the church yes in that
0: regard definitely yeah and yeah. what a cool example for the culture uh yeah so that the, the church can be like this this unity um of yeah
1: um what's well, a foretaste of what is to come mm-hmm. uh yeah. it is it is cultures
2: yeah and i think too it's it's very fascinating you know for instance on the one hand uh, Recently, in the last 10 years, you had the, you know, the back to Jerusalem movement, right? Which, which yep. you're familiar with the, with the Chinese church wanting to send missionaries all the way and, and, and I think Silk Road. I don't know all the details. It's been a while. but, um, And now you're, you're having these pockets uh, in South America and Africa saying we're going to send people to, to reach Europe because that was a place. That's how we got the gospel original originally. So we feel there's a need there. And so it's a, like I said, it's a fascinating, so if I can transition this maybe a little to the idea of movements, it's, yeah, it's fascinating it. what's, what's happening in our, in our world and has happened for 2000 years. These, these movements of spiritual movements, spiritual movements of people who have said, we're going to go over there and we're going to do something and we're going to, we're going to take the gospel with us to, to make a, make an impact and to mm-hmm. have that. And to see that thing, that, that great commission vision has been going on for so long. And it, and, and I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic in this sense that in, in a lot of ways, the great commission is being fulfilled or maybe I don't want to say it has been fulfilled, but it's being fulfilled because we're seeing this, what, 2000 years ago, I don't think they could have con- conceived of, it. you know, I don't think Paul would have thought someday there's going to be a guy who's his, um, Oh, his, uh, what's the word in I'm tr- trying to think in Spanish now, but his, his, um, where he comes from his, uh, his makeup or his ethnic makeup, right? His Amazonian tribe mixed with African mixed with European is now going to go back to Europe and, and maybe even in back to the heartland of where Paul was originally from and sharing the gospel with people. And th- those, those things are happening
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah.
2: all over yeah. the world. And so we're, we're in a, we're in a situation where the, the global movement of missions is, well, there's a guy, Samuel Escobar is Peruvian missiologist so i think that still lives in valencia maybe. he says the gospel is from how does he say it from it's from everywhere to everyone mm-hmm. now that's yeah, that's the situation so, we're in
1: garrick was it was it you that that sent me the article or maybe it wasn't you but there was an article i was reading recently that was talking about um nigerian missionaries trying to figure out how to reach mexico yeah and yeah like, I, that's, that's just happening that's, that's just
2: it, yeah that's just awesome
1: you know yeah, like yeah. You know, Nigerians who are like, God called me to go to Mexico. So yeah. I packed my bags and moved to Mexico. And it's like, so th- I, I think that that's a really cool thing to think about is, yeah, the gospel is for everyone everywhere and by yeah, however you put it. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Because it is, there's something... It, it kind of so we have a, a an interesting question that we're constantly having to discuss um, among ourselves. Being, uh, you know, in some ways we live in two cultures, right? Mm-hmm. So we're Americans who are doing missions in a a country that we have adopted as our own, and who has adopted us. And but yet there's always those questions of okay, short term team, long term teams, different stuff like that. And and there, there sometimes is a sense of well, well, what good is does a short term team bring you know cuz mm-hmm. what are you really adding and one of the things that i and i myself have been at times very critical or cynical uh, it wouldn't be news to you guys that i could can run the gamut of cynicism uh <laughs> as, as one of my staff buddies put it a long time ago barrett you put the sin in cynicism <laughs> and, uh, so i repent of that daily but um uh i think so i, I this full disclosure i've been i've been critical but one of the things that constantly happens is somehow when we engage in cross-cultural missions, there's something beautiful that happens mm-hmm. that you can't, I, I can't put a, a marker of the value on it. I can't say, well, we got this kind of return. I can't even say that it always leads to people following Christ. But what I can say is it leads to people knowing Christ. So, or, or following, maybe not knowing Christ in a new way. So like converts, but rather knowing Christ in a deeper way absolutely every time without doubt or hesitation that, that when you engage yourself in cross cultural ministries, you engage yourself in an activity that Jesus himself was, was engaged with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if like, even as you talk about short versus long-term, I think there's benefit to both. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking through different grids, you know, my personal experience in both. Um, Like I had done short-term stuff in the Philippines and in Czech Republic and a few other places um, and long-term here in France. And I could see some benefit in all those things. Um, But then you think biblically, you can think of a lot of examples of both as well. I mean, basically you can't totally bash the whole, the short-term missions concept, if you read the book of Acts, I mean, (laughs) Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths and, you know, he's writing two letters to that new community because the Holy Spirit had something to do there. And despite the persecution of, um, probably family members and the, and, and the culture, just being like if they were in Greece and had a, uh, certain cultural standpoint on this new religion. And then you've got the Jews that were in Greece and they had also another different angle to persecute this new church. Um, I mean, and God wanted to birth something there. And, yeah. and so he can use whatever means and whoever uh, he wants. But I do think, well, what do you guys think when you think of your context in Sweden and Spain like some of the pros and cons that you've seen of uh, people who've come over either on a short or a long-term basis. Does it matter like what they were doing, where they were doing it, how they were partnered with local ministries or not?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think cause, you know, so, I mean, if, if we're honest, right. I would say on, on one hand I've seen in America gets really excited about mid, short-term missions and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's transposed now. I don't want to say be anti-American here, but it's tra- transposed. And I've seen the same kind of issues rise up in other countries now who are able to send because all over the world can now send short-term and receive short-term, uh, and and so I, I think there's a lot of value. I, th- I but I know that you know there's been some studies that have shown long-term it doesn't have as you know big of a Im- impact. I, you know, I've been blessed, by it. I, I probably wouldn't be in Spain if it wasn't for going on a short-term trip. I wouldn't, yeah, same uh, have, here. I think, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to make the steps to get here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I, I think um, what what I've seen is is there's a few things I think are super important. One is your attitude coming in as the short-term people. Yeah, if you come in and are you building a partnership and a and, and a really a partnership, not that not a, uh, a power dynamic, you know, where one person one group has. All the money and stuff, and the other group just wants you to, you know, figure out how to get that, you know, transactionally. Because um, that, that there's some. I'm sure we can find some really bad examples of. And I've and I've talked to other leaders and around the world who are sometimes get really frustrated about some of the short-term stuff that's happening and feel the big distraction or even you know detrimental. So I think a lot of it is is partnering, really knowing who you're working with on both sides, and, and seeing it as a as a almost a marriage. And then I and then I think the other thing is, um, yeah, I think through that, then you can really figure out what's going to be something we can bring value. So when you come in, it, you're going to get something out of it as a short-term person. And I, and I think that's where maybe the, sometimes I see the, the pendulum swing, it becomes all about the experience of the short-term people coming mm-hmm. in. And, and that's not necessarily their fault because they're not prepared to think about some of those dynamics. But when you say, but when you have the partnership, then you can say, okay, where are we needed? What can we do that will really bring value? or what we can, we can try that we think will bring value. And I think I, I see those things, I, for instance, I think crew in a lot of ways, because we bring students to hang out with students and reach students. There's something in there that that's kind of magical.
0: There's a common yeah. culture. There's you know, a common
2: culture for yeah. instance. And, and so, so I, I'm a big proponent, but, of, 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 but usually when you, we can kind of follow through in those, hey, is this really a partnership or are you just kind of coming over here because you've got an agenda? or you, you don't, you're not thinking about really serving. So, and that's, and those are things you gotta, you gotta wrestle through and you're going to make mistakes. But if, but if you it's, it's the same thing in a family or a marriage, you're gonna make mistakes, but, but if it's not an equal partnership, then those things start to, I think, grind down pretty quickly.
0: How was it for you? Like even comparing, did you have short term in central Asia? Because, because you have a much like a, a smaller cultural gap, for an American coming to Western Europe, than yeah. coming to a Muslim culture context,
1: yeah, it's it's hard. So, so my perspective on it, so this being the now the fourth continent that I've that <laughs> I've worked on, um, I I think it's a it's a fascinating question because I think there's a lot of value in short term. Um, I am a product of short term, so I went on a summer mission in 2000, and it changed my life uh, in so many ways, you know. Um, but so I'm a big fan of them and we still do them here in Sweden. Um, we've, we've done them in, uh, we've sent teams out of here, but we also, you know, receive teams in, in both North Africa and Central Asia. I think, I think the the reality for, for us in Central Asia was that an American was a rock star. And so, so it was easy for us to send in and Central Asians really wanted to learn, conversational English. So they could study English in a book, but there weren't that many people who could speak English well around for them to practice with. And so it was easy for us to come in and start an English club and, and get mm-hmm. to hang out with students and, and not during the English club itself, but, but outside of that time, we were able to share Christ in a very natural way. It was some of the easiest evangelism I've done. Interesting. Uh, That's I remember
0: a great what, strategy for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it I mean, I, I probably shouldn't reveal this on, on a, you know, worldwide podcast, but, um, uh, that's all right. I'm pretty sure no one of importance, uh, at least to that level is, is listening. But anyway, the, 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 the point being, you know, when I was in Central Asia, I remember this, uh, this teenage girl came up to me on the streets shaking and, and, and she goes, are, are, are you American? (laughs) Because she had never seen an American before. Uh, no one has ever done that to anyone in Sweden. (laughs) I, so, so you don't, you don't have the same, it's a different, it's a different yeah. kind of short term, right? So we, we, when we receive short term teams here, there's no benefit that we're offering to students by hanging out with them. It's sheer interest. And so sometimes the hard thing about any kind of missions in central Asia, but specifically short term missions is you always have the issue of you need to weed people out. Those who are interested and those who just want to hang around you because they think they can get something out of you. Mm. Um, and and so that's a constant struggle. But in, in Sweden, you're more often short-term people are just trying to find someone to meet with because they're not unimpressed with you. Mm. Um, you know, and, and there's always that, that question of, well, what are you doing that's helpful? And what are you doing that's hurtful? One time we had a summer team that got it in their head that, you know, there's a lot of bikes in Sweden. It's an awesome idea, right? They thought, hey, let's serve people. So let's set up a bike cleaning station and wash people's bikes because it's on. we had just come Really, it's a spring. It's not a summer mission. It's a summer, spring mission here because May and June are still spring, and um, and so people were washing bikes. Well, I found out years later from a friend of mine who stopped by. He's not a Christian. He said, "Man, that was the most culturally inappropriate thing I've ever seen." And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You guys set up." He's like, "Not the bike washing. That was fine, but every time a guy would come by, some dude would come over and wash my bike, and the and the and the girls would." Or no, 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 the dudes would talk to me and the girls would wash the bike or vice versa. He was like, you guys were so sexually divided because as American yeah. Christians, they had this sense of, I want to do ministry to same sex to keep oh, those. Yeah. And this is the most egalitarian culture ever, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So he, for him, Whoa. it was like this really offensive thing. And he was like, it's just weird. Y'all are weird. So yeah. summer, summer missions and, you know, you yeah. always run that risk. So this, yeah. this is my point anytime you bring someone in short term, you run the risk of of creating an issue or attention to you that can hurt. Wise. Yeah. I and, and I think it's really difficult for Americans to think in terms of old world reputation. So Americans think in terms of what's new, what's next. We question the established order. You know, it's a country that was built off from the ground up and by people who are dissatisfied with an order of the old rock and roll. But, But yeah, but the places we live are places that have been refining that culture for the last 700 years. And I don't want to say not questioning the established order, but there is a way of doing things. And so, and there's long memories that go back generations and people carry with them into that a certain way of doing things. So sometimes you can bring in a short term team that can actually kind of hurt your reputation a little bit if you what I do what I call flooding the zone right so I live in a town that's 40,000 people or 40,000 students 250,000 people and look if I land 50 college students even though that seems like proportionately that's a fine thing to do if I land that's just too many for us so we have Mm -hmm. to think in terms of what's the right number what's the right mix of people you know cultural things that you have to do so there certainly is benefit but like Garrick said, and I, and I'm sure that you probably, I don't know actually what you think, Aaron, but I I think you probably agree. It, it works best when those who are coming don't have the attitude of I'm going to solve all the problems, but rather they come in with the attitude of I've got something to learn along the way. Um, And I even think that would go to the extent of if you're repainting a, a church in, you know, a, a poor country somewhere, um, Every Christian would have an opportunity to learn from someone no matter their circumstances, and I think that's that 's the thing that I emphasize now with short term missions is you have a you have a of course you have a ministry opportunity when you 're here, but you have an opportunity to learn and learn something really deep about yourself and about the Lord during your time here mm-hmm. and I think that was missed at least for me i i, I don 't want to cast that dispersion on anyone else, but i didn 't realize that when I went on a short term mission I thought mm-hmm. that I was God's gift to Central Asia.
2: Yeah. Aaron, what's, what's been your experience in, in France?
0: Well, um, so we haven't had short-term teams in Toulouse come for a while. And because even though I've had this role for the last four or five years, we always had some long-term staff in Paris, with, where, is, where our current partnership is with more American staff. So I've been dealing more with the French side of things um, uh, so I haven't had a lot of personal contact with a lot of the short-term teams that come but um, that's changing I'm, I'm taking more and more of a role uh, with having some contact with some of those teams that come over and uh, what I uh, I what I've noticed is expectations uh, for them and for us are huge, like are, are really important to get, have clear expectations. If people come in hoping that in four weeks they'll leave with X amount of conversions, they may (laughs) be disappointed. So I, I don't, I run the slight risk of being, yeah. (laughs) So I just, I, I feel like it's, you know, so I, I try to frame some context about like, how the, the seed of the gospel seems to be working right now in France and Europe, God can change that, of course. And, and we could get lucky and we could come across someone who, where God has already been working for a while. And, you know, and we have actually, uh, and I remember this example, it, it helps me. Like There was a short-term team that came in Montpellier a few years back two girls, they went on a campus. They didn't know French. They, but just came up to a young French guy who was like an English major. He was at a really low point in his life at that point, like to the point of, of, of thinking, of, you know, some uh, thoughts of harming himself and, uh, God used that conversation, just a couple students going on on campus that Uh, he got plugged in with that short-term team and provided some much needed community for him at that point in his life. And then he ended up getting connected with the long-term team in the fall. And it's just one of those stories where, um, eventually, um, God used a mix of different people to sow the gospel in his life and he became a believer. And, um, and that's, that, that I think is a great story. And it's more of a, more of how I've seen people come to Christ in France is they belong before they believe. They, yeah. They're they able to freely um, ask questions, even argue <laughs> or uh, open. I always feel like it's a good sign if they're openly objecting to things, but they keep showing up. To me, that's yeah. like now like yeah, that's the a really sign, sign. Yeah. that the spirit is at work. If they're totally indifferent um, and they don't show up to stuff, that's more of a well, just pray and see. But I also want to have the, even after 17 years of France, I also want to guard my own heart from thinking that I know exactly what works here. And I try to even tell, and I want to get better at this, like a short-term team. I want to learn from you. Students have changed in this time and you guys are going to be out there hours a day in a way that I'm not right now. Um, And I, I feel like they probably, they do some evaluations and stuff at the end. I wanna get my hands on some of that learning, like more of that learning Yeah, because because that is a a real, I think underused part of the strategy that we have with the short term team. This is a laboratory. They can go out and try things, learn things for us, but also for them. And I'm convinced that anyone who comes over to Europe short term, they're gonna go back challenged and yeah. it will be useful for the states because there's already on the edges of the states, the Northeast, the West Coast. They're also very. They're already Europe-like. Any any
1: major any major U.S. city is that yeah, one now. That's right now. Dallas Dallas, Texas is more and more European, yeah. secularized, and it's in at least in the elites' yeah. elites' views. I I I have long said. If you, if you want to reach America tomorrow, send your people to Europe today. That's right. Like,
0: I believe that, yes.
1: Because yeah. you can have, Sweden is a greenhouse for, or a pressure cooker for conversations uh, because of the uniformity of thought. You, you can have the same conversation, you know, 40 times during a day and, and really gain perspective. Okay, this is how I wrestle with someone it, it doesn't seem an, an anomaly anymore which is really important but, yeah. but garrick you, you were about to say something
2: yeah no just two things one one to tie in the we, we talk about stefan pass a lot but he he in his book on church planning in the west uh, in western europe he talks about that as creating uh communities of innovation and i think you're exactly right that that's that these short-term trips can if, i think help helping maybe even those trips see themselves as a little community of innovation it doesn't mean they're becoming the church but it means that they're they are the church in, this, in a real way of a community of people but that they have this ability to go out and try things and learn things as long as they come as learners and so i think then that i wanted to move to that to the idea of how do you balance you know because you we want to balance this because i feel the same way you do aaron it's like i want my i want them to go out and just go for it on one hand but i want them and to learn and i can learn from them and i want to keep that an attitude of learning that even Someone coming over from, you know, some of the, some part of the American South or wherever, California, they can come and, and they might learn something that can really help us in, in the next step of our ministry, because we don't have all the answers, you know, we, yeah. we have to say that. Um, but how do you, ba- how do you balance, it? but at the same time you want them to come as learn and you, and you don't want them to come in with, Hey, we're, we're, you know, cause we've seen that we've seen the teams that come and go, we're going to, we're going to, there's going to be a hundred people. That's our goal. That's what we're praying for. We're going to trust Christ this weekend. And you're just like, you don't want to be the guy who throws, I feel bad throwing cold wild,
1: water on cold the water, water match. on
2: it. But <laughs> at the same time, I know I've seen that so many times where people get so excited. Um, and Um So that, that brought me to an idea. Um So a long time ago, 96, when I was on stint, in uh, Estonia with Mike Schatzman, actually. We would Mm -hmm. sometimes have to drive down to Latvia or Lithuania, and that was back still kind of post-Soviet borders. And so you would get to the Estonian-Latvian border, and the Estonian guys would come, collect your passports. They would put it in an office. They'd go out. They'd smoke a cigarette. They'd go back in. They'd look at your passport. You could see the whole process. They'd look at your passport. And this is after you waited maybe 30 minutes in line in a car. They'd look at your passport. Uh, They would then go back out, smoke another cigarette, then go talk to a friend, they go back in, then you would see them stamp your passport. And then they would go back out, smoke like there was this, and it was, you know, I'm sure it was from a holdover from the Soviet Union of slow people down, you know, don't let them let them know that the state controls you. And then, so you'd go over to the Latvian side and it'd be the exact same process. And so we long hours sitting in cars, in Russian cars, we, we found that in your passport it says, um, You know the secretary of state of the united states of america hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit this the the citizen national of the united states named herein to pass without delay or hindrance so we would always be like we should go talk to these guys because it madeleine albright (laughs) requesting that we and 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 what mike he turned it into an actual talk about relinquishing your rights when you come over Mm. on missions i thought it was such a genius thing and he would always start with that story that kind of you know your passport says you 're allowed to pass out delay, but our it 's possible that maybe our our Christian passport says we, we don't we don't have those rights we, and as a missionary, we have to give up our rights to maybe success, maybe to our own vision of things I, I, Mike did it Mike does it amazingly He's, I think he still probably gives that talk um, hmm. um, but um and so, so but that 's the question how do, how do you get the you know, because you want people to be excited. You want them to go full on. You want them to, to do the stuff that maybe you can't always do, but you also want to temper it with, you know, so I don't know. That's, I think that's where that's a dichotomy there. How do you, have you guys figured out how to communicate that well or get people to think along those, those lines?
0: I think you give a little bit of an orientation to, and and try to have natives present if possible. Cause You know, even if I say I've been here this long, there's just something different when a French person can communicate some things about France. I think that helps set a tone like, um, and, but after that, I think we need to give confidence in the Lord, the word, and thank them for coming over and and believe in God's sovereignty to some degree that um, they're there for a reason and have confidence in that. And, you know, God has provided the resources and the will for you to be here. I'm convinced that he's going to do something in and through you. And maybe setting that tone that, um, this isn't just a vacation time. Like this is, there's some cool things in Europe, you know, um, and there, but you're gonna, you're probably going to experience some things you're expecting and probably a lot that you weren't. But I, I wonder if, um, for both short and long-term teams um, there are certain things that we need to keep coming back to. And it's like, how are the people that you're coming in contact with seeing the word of God lived out in your community among in relationships, one-on-one, small group, large group, like how usually like when they see a group of Americans coming over there, American Christians, they're like, there is just this bomb of positivity and energy they encourage one another they're fun it's like I just want to be in their atmosphere and yeah. that, at least among French people that there's just something really attractive about that and it makes them curious and they want to get to the bottom of that but secondly I think it's how are they so seeing seeing the gospel like the, the how that is played out in in our lives and in the group um, that can really speak into a culture or really be markedly different than the culture and attractive in a positive way or and then also like how is the word being sown and just really having confidence that um if if the word of god is being sown even if it's not in the native language or if it's just worked in through a testimony or something that just let the holy spirit do his thing have confidence in the word of god try to get you know you might not always get to that depth of conversation or might not get your nose in the Bible with somebody, but to the best of your ability, try to get the word sown into people's lives so that they get curious about that. Cause that, and that's how God will ultimately change their heart and mind. Those two things kind of seeing the word lived out in people. Um, and then also just kind of, Doing its work in people's hearts to convict, to make them think, and uh, it, it just made me think of. I'm right now. I I'm, I just I'm in a Bible study with a few French students, and we're going through First and Second Thessalonians, and this verse kind of applies to that. Um, so it's in chapter three, and Paul's talking to the Thessalonians again. This is a church of like baby believers where they were just in town for three weeks. And through a ton of persecution, then he he goes on and he keeps hearing this news that this church is not only surviving, but we just keep hearing news of how much they love each other, how much they're, you know, living out their faith. And it's, I mean, how encouraging would that be for him? And and it's uh, what proof of God's work in and through him too. Um, Mm -hmm. But then he asks to these baby believers, pray for us. You know, it says, finally, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may as happened among you and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men for not all have faith but the lord is faithful he will establish and guard against um, the evil one and we have confidence in the lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command may the lord direct your hearts to the love of god and the steadfastness of christ You know, if, a, if, if young believers hear that, that kind of like pray for us and that kind of vote of confidence, but then he's also modeling his trust in God and his work and in his word and just pray that the, he's not praying, pray that our organization is everywhere, but it, it's like, and I'm not saying that's what we are saying, but um, with our organization or anything, like we want movements of, of Christ-centered disciples who make disciples everywhere. Um, but I just love how he says like, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. And yeah. uh, that, that's just, it makes me want to pray that for France. Yeah. I want the word of God to be honored and yeah. you know, whatever our reputation is going to be, it, will it be, but I want to sow God's word and yeah. see what happens.
1: Yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the, the really cool things that a, a short-term team can do is just do a lot of sewing. Um, I've, I've had a lot of discussion with, um, a mutual friend of all of ours, uh, um, Kelly Mulholland, who has spent was in Barcelona and then Ireland. And, uh, and, uh, he and I talk a lot about it because both he and I can struggle with maybe a little bit of cynicism. And, um, he and I talk a lot about, uh, betting against ourselves, um, that, that we want short term people and, and, and our staff to always be doing things that we think eh, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, let them and, try. And I, 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 I want to be wrong. Uh, you know, you, you said earlier of that, that new person that comes in, it's like, look, I need your eyes. Um, I think that you can get in such ruts yep. that you think, Oh, the word of God's not going to. And, and I know that I struggle with that as well. Uh, and it, it's hard to hold that balance. It's hard to, it's hard to say, well, this is the experience that I've had. So that, yep. where's that line between wisdom and cynicism, um, I yeah. had a really great conversation with the Dean of a seminary here about that recently. He and I meet occasionally and, and I was asking him. And I, so I think, I think that, that line of, of saying, okay, Lord, I, I want to see your word go forth. Um, I was so happy last summer when um, my cynical self was kind of like, okay, let's go through the motions. Let's teach these people how to do evangelism here and doggone it. they saw a girl come to Christ. And <laughs> Genuine. And, but I'll say this, had it not been for long-term, we would have completely lost track of that girl because yeah. for, for various circumstances, but she just wasn't ready to plug herself into a Swedish church. She needed the faithful presence of an outsider. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually had an American staff who, who uh, connected with her and that has followed. And, you know, she is in good fellowship today and growing in her faith. Right. And I think that there is a, there is that, since there I think one of the great things that that I've been a part of and that we're more and more becoming a part of in Sweden as we had Swedish staff um, is blended teams mm-hmm. it's It's that mix of both it is the multicultural nature of the church and of of the the mission endeavor, but the fact that you have both of those perspectives and sometimes there's sparks sometimes there's friction of trying to figure out how to best do it and uh, but I think it displays well the character and the nature of christ uh, or at least has the potential to do so um, very very well i think the question for me is so we we're we're a part of an organization that that has defined itself. Uh, it, we are an activist organization and movement is, is really important to us. So movement is defined by that the gospel is moving forward, that is spreading and multiplication wise from person to person. Um, that it's not necessarily just a bunch of professional evangelists out on the street, but rather that we are training and discipling people to make Jesus known in their everyday life. And so
0: hmm. that's
1: the way that for our purposes, I, I define movement. Um, you know, we were all three just a part of our um, National Campus Directors Conference in Europe. We had a chance to sit down with uh, Steve Addison, who's a really great thinker, Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, We were supposed to have joined him in, uh, all been together outside of Florence, Italy. Um, one of the terrible things about working <laughs> in, in Europe is that we often have to have meetings in terrible places like Florence, Italy. Oh, um, mom i mean uh, i was supposed to be in the u.s so i wouldn't have been there but because it got canceled i got to be a part of the meetings anyway over zoom um which i may or may not be thankful for. but anyway point being we got to hear from steve addison anyway and he wrote a fantastic book it's the second book of his that i've read he it. Wrote, he wrote a book um movements that changed the world i believe yeah. it was called yeah Movements uh, change very, very good book yeah re- like really moves, really good book about the elements moves. that that really define what a movement that really is, uh, impactful, uh, have. So why I Faith things like that, but he just followed up with uh, this book, um, uh, rise and fall of movements and the tension that is, you can actually see a movement rise and fall, that it's not a given that it will always continue. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what are, what are were some of your initial thoughts and reflections
0: as you walked away from that?
1: book and that time with Steve?
0: First of all, I want to reread the book and I want to (laughs) spend time with Steve Addison. Yeah, no kidding. Right. He was, he was great. Yeah. I, I thought there were so many insightful things. I mean, uh, first of all, he basically the way that the book was laid out, it talked about the movement life cycle from birth to growth to kind of the top of the curve was reaching maturity and then decline and decay, and he ha- over time, and he had examples of each one of those phases for each chapter, and then um, he, he kind of described the the key thing where I felt myself on the edge of my seat. Well, how do you avoid that decline <laughs> part? How do you how do you reach the rebirth uh, so that the curve kind of takes another swing up? And he he talked especially about three three main categories: the identity of a movement, the strategies, and the methods. And uh, I mean, especially that identity piece. Coming back to the identity was one of the more profound thoughts that really stuck with me. And he defined that part as um, the basically the word, the spirit, and um, and just this aspect of, of mission, just coming back. And to those, the word of God, how's the word of God present in our hearts, in our community, in our activities and, you know, um, what we're doing, how's the spirit of God at work and, and do, are we really coming back to what did he call it? The mission, uh, the core missional activity. Yeah. Uh, basically being focused on disciple making and making disciples, that make disciples and not just some of the accessory things that can be good and helpful, but can sometimes lead us away from actually making impact in people's lives and doing the hard work of just spending time together. And, um, it just, the, the time that it takes to get somebody from wherever they are to meet Christ, to not only becoming a child of God, but a a true disciple of Christ and and a disciple that makes disciples. Um, and, and then, yeah, uh, basically the thought of sometimes the methods that get you to where, you're go- where you want to go. like, And I think Crew is a good example of some effective methods that saw many people come to Christ, be built up in their faith, sent out through some really key tools in our history that have been used and multiplied and used in many different contexts. But he basically said, if if a movement gets too rigid with its tools, like they say, our tools, are our, our, our methods are our, our identity. Where they mistake the identity of the movement with some of their methods, that is when the, the movement is sure to decline at some point because the culture will move on and those tools and methods will no longer be pertinent at some point in time. So but
1: do you, guys, do you guys worry about... In our context, in your particular context, uh, getting too attached to the method rather than the message, the mission. Oh. How do, how do you ask a show stopping <laughs> question?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a profound. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a tough question because I, I think we're 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 kind of in a lot of ways and what i think what 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 steve's book and what he was is trying to help us to get out of the stuckness maybe and i sometimes feel we are a little bit stuck with as an organization uh between the methods and strategies right we talk a lot about strategy and strategy is great important once again i'm i don't i'm not i don't, I don't want diminish methods strategies but that can sometimes feel like that's what everyone's looking for the magic bullet or the magic thing and and we need people thinking on those things but if we don't have clear and that's what i think we have sometimes i, f- I felt that like tension yeah. like you need between the you need both, you need both. Yeah. but we've maybe the pendulum swung and we need to get back to core what are we really 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 about um, I, th- I think that's a little bit easier in the campus ministry uh, mm-hmm. per, per se because what we're really about we're about when builds in with students Um, and, but it was still, I I can get away from that really quickly. And I I think part of the, the, the other rock and a hard place thing there is that Europe is hard. And so it's easy that, that process of taking someone from not knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, to walking with Jesus, to, to discipling someone else. It's, it's, it's a long, arduous, uh, journey. And so I, I think it's very, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine in Granada, similar in concept. He said, it's so easy for people to get away from that because it's hard. And so it's easy to move to another area where you, where you can do things and, and it, it looks better, it feels better, but we, but you've moved on from your core identity, maybe what we're really about. Once again, I, I think it's important that some people are doing those other things. Yeah. But if I think the, everything,
1: everything has to be contextualized. Right. So I think yeah. in my time in Sweden, one of the things that I've, I've come to um, uh, a good friend of mine has helped me formulate this. And so this is, these thoughts are not original to me, but, but, I, I think that it's helped me to think of, in particular, some of the tools that we use. So some of them are fantastic and were revolutionary for their time. Yeah. Uh, Knowing God Personally booklet, or the Four Spiritual Laws, um, mm-hmm. Satisfied booklet, or the Holy Spirit booklet. Those those things are fantastic tools. G- Jesus film. Jesus film. Yeah. But they're contextualized for their time, meaning uh, this, um, specifically a tool like the Four Spiritual Laws, which I use from time to time here yeah. Uh, but generally, what I would say is it works best as a confession, and confessions are written to a specific context. It's it's so. So, or or one could say it's a creed. So the Apostles' Creed and the um, the Nicene Creed do not say the same thing, and they correct and speak to different aspects. Why? Because at the time that they were developed and written, it didn't mean that it was the first time anyone ever thought about it, but it was the best way to sum up what the culture needed at the time in order to understand a particular part about who God was or his nature or whatever else. So when the Four Spiritual Laws was developed, it was 1950s America when a large number of people would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian or... Say, uh,
2: I'm interested in God. Yeah, say... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so That's I envision so, people in the fifties talking. Yeah,
1: exactly. Everyone. Gee, that sounds swell. As um, well. <laughs> so, but but so I mean, swearing. I think I do think that in some sense that it was written because. People generally accepted the idea that there was a God,
3: um,
1: but they didn't know necessarily that he loved him. They probably thought that he was just mad at him. And so that was, it was, it was a creed that was a corrective. And so, so much of it can be generally accepted by many societies still in the world who accept Mm -hmm. that view. So it doesn't just mean that it worked in 1950s America. That's the only place in time that it would ever work. It may work in some places in Europe. My point is this, in if we think of it in four laws, the place that I have trouble is not law one, not law two, not law three, or not law four. It's word one,
3: mm-hmm.
1: God. And and that that then starts down this whole rabbit hole of questions yeah. that I have to unpack with any given Swede. Generally speaking, doesn't yeah. mean that that's always the case. And it doesn't mean that I stop there. I always give people the full gospel whenever possible. But it just means that my jumping off point or my starting point are, are, are very different and that I need to develop new means of communicating the gospel for the context that I'm in. Exactly. And what, what I would say is, you know, you said people have to belong before they can believe. Um, I, I would say that that certainly is the case in sweden is that generally we see someone has to really interact over a long period of time in order to kind of eventually get to a point that they say okay it's plausible that there could be a god and it's plausible that jesus died for my sins but there is no longer that plausibility structure keller talks about that Mm -hmm. uh, left in secular society or many of our secular societies so sometimes i worry that that we're because we're ingrained sometimes I worry that I'm looking for a tool that's just gonna be that magic bullet and that I'm gonna lean on that too much. Right. So I can hear someone speak as, oh wow, okay, they're doing that. I wonder if that would work. And I'm not saying that I shouldn't think that, I think we should, but I shouldn't lean so heavily on it. So my, my next question is this, I'm, I'm a little bit of a cheeky question mood at the moment. When you guys think about movement, okay, so when a word comes out movement, generally speaking what numbers are attached to that in your head now i'm not saying i'm not oh, asking you to define yeah. how many people is a movement I, I'm, I'm just t- saying when someone says movement do you yeah. think 10 people no yeah Do you think millions what do you what do you think what's a movement in your yeah
0: head? i totally i'm i'm totally with you on this one i mean like if you look uh, outside a movement is the civil rights movement, you know, the women's suffrage movement, the, like, at the, um, printemps arabe Arab was the Arab Springs. Um, you know, there it's, just it's, speak more
1: French on this podcast. Yeah. please. You, you're really, <laughs> <Yeah>. you're, you're <laughs> raising the, you're raising, yeah. you're raising, yeah. you're raising
0: the, the level of sophistication <laughs> for us. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, there it's, or, I mean, even like, the the gilets jaunes in France, like the yellow jacket movement, <laughs> yeah. just recently, yeah. like they just, they, who was their leader? They don't know. It, it was just like, but they all had a common cause that they were, in this case, against, and they were just all in the streets. I know I'm supposed to. It was easy. It was transferable, and it was massive. And uh, I, it probably you could probably follow some of the, <laughs> the rise and falls of of this, you know that movement as well but yeah it usually means massive numbers that everyone can see and identify and it doesn't always I, I i came away from our time together asking when we say there's a movement on a campus you know there's an aspirational aspect like we want to see a movement but i was actually asking myself, it doesn't seem like a couple students being coached is uh, is a movement would that would people on the campus Say that it's a movement, you know, like yeah. whether they're a part of it or not. Um, but it did make me think about in France, like a movement on campus. Uh, I was thinking about that, and I in in France, anyways, you it would not mean probably that you have an organized structure that's accepted by the university and registered, um, and that's where you do most of your gathering and and activity i think what we'd want to see is uh i'll give a good example of what happened in france this is a really cool story of a, a student involved with agape art so she was young student age um, but she wasn't directly linked day by day to, with our campus team in paris so she was an artist but she was a student in the Sorbonne, uh which is a Ooh. The prestigious Ooh, just, you know Bill Murray, Bill Murray yeah. went to oh you're kidding yeah. yeah I mean it's Google it folks it's um yeah it's, it, it's 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 an elite school and um but so she's a very mission minded believer her parents are on staff she's on staff um but she got the green light to do an art exposition called home in mm-hmm. the middle of the Sarbon And the whole art team got to come in. And so here's a Christian student adding value like the with, I wish I could tell you more about it just from memory. I don't want to say anything incorrect about it, but she had a lot of really uh, creative images and some text that really resonated with people's idea of what is home, where is home. And it, it created dialogue thinking and here this, university is asking one of our students to add value to our university life. And she's social by nature. And what kind of conversations came out of that? I'm guessing someone's asking, what was your inspiration behind this?
3: Yeah.
1: Really. Uh,
0: and then maybe that led to, let's have lunch and I'd love to share more. And maybe they find out she's a believer and she's taking the opportunity. God used me in this conversation. And, oh, have you ever read the Bible? And maybe that leads to you know, sharing your testimony or a discovery Bible study or some kind of activity or strategy to reach people. Mm -hmm. But that, that exposition was way more visible to the campus um, than probably anything that we could do that would have a really clearly, you know, Jesus stamped on it, Um, but would gain more relationships. And I, I think we, I dream of spirit filled believers who are, who are, adding value to wherever they're at, but their relationships do, they are trying to get to the gospel, but where they gather and where the gospel is shared, it might be in their home, might be in the city around a coffee shop. It might be on campus, but to me, that would be the movements that we want to see.
1: Well, and, and I think that's, I think that's the thing that I, so it's interesting because you, you read from Thessalonians and by all, by all accounts, it was 20, 30 ish people right? And Paul certainly saw it, well, he saw it as a church, but did he see it as a movement or they a part of the movement? And, you know, it, that's like basically saying, Paul, you know, Thessalonians, it might've been max 300 people. I mean, that would have been a massive city back in those days, right? So it's basically Paul arrives in Iceland, finds 20 people who believe it goes, it's a movement. <laughs> I think we would tend to think because we tend to think of movements as these massive, let's say Billy Graham rallies, at least that's my right. default. That's, that's wrong. I'm admitting what's wrong for me. And what I think I pick up in some kind of folk idea of movement um, that no, that wouldn't be a movement. And I actually think that oftentimes what maybe God views as his faithful people carrying out his kingdom Looks a lot different than what we would, than we have any metrics for. And and I think that that's the that's the difficult thing that we have to carry out because I agree with you. I the the best movement I was ever a part of were in two countries where I couldn't be open with what I was doing there, uh-huh. right in North Africa and Central Asia where no one could be open about it, but there was a movement because people were in love with Jesus and there was no marketing. There was no logo. There was, now that doesn't mean that we don't use marketing. It doesn't mean that we don't use logos. We're, yeah. we're in a context where that's okay. But my point is, is that it, it was moving by nature of its contagion, not by nature of we had a really good strategic plan. I think we had a good strategic plan, but it was, it was, the Lord was moving in the sense of the people were following and understanding him. Uh, And so I think, I think that's a good lesson for us in, in that
2: regard. The, the most, um, the most, I think in Granada, we've had a great ministry experience in Granada and seen God do some really cool things and raise up staff. But the, the, the couple of years where we really, you know, the tricky thing with student ministry too, is like, you're always in this cycle of up and down because people move on. Like literally, you know, you don't, you, yeah, you have students for a while. They come in; they're part of your life. Some some stick around longer after graduation, but they they move on. Uh, that's that's part of what we're about, which is a great thing. But it's it can be very trying sometimes because then you lose you lose great people because they they get married, they go to get jobs in other places, they do uh, other things. Um, but but the the year that we had probably the most uh, just we saw movement just happen, and it was it it seemed spontaneous, and just God was doing something. And we just, we just kept sitting down there and sitting down with people and going, why are these people here? Why, how did they, and and it was the, it was the year we almost closed the ministry in Granada because we were uh, short of staff, but God just popped someone in our lap at the right moment who had the right skills. Uh, You know, it just, it was, it was totally unplanned, totally un, and I don't even think that year we had a plan, to be honest with you, because we just, we had just had a baby. We just got back from being back in the States for six months. We were literally contemplating, it was just, you and I were like, maybe we're just going to shut this down. And then someone popped up on our screen and other people popped up and we just asked the right questions at the right time Hmm. and things, you know, we saw, you know, once again, when I say a movement that we were talking about 15 people, you know, but we saw some real crazy important life change happen and, and people get behind while we were going. But, you know, it was, it was totally unplanned, unscripted. Um, and we're still reaping a lot of the fruit from that. Those, days that was, this was like six years ago. Um, so I, I think that's a yeah, very so, fascinating thing to think about as well.
1: I, I think that this brings up something that I'm, but that one that I, we, we can probably close with cause we we're going a little bit long here. Uh, we could literally, uh, we could keep going guys. This is, uh-huh. yeah, it's a great this conversation. What, what I love about getting together with you. It's, it's so easy just to keep, Keep going. Um, but the, uh, this idea, so we, we say this often, we all learned successful evangelism is, is being faithful to share and leaving the results up to God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting though, that oftentimes, and I would not say that this is only, uh, this is a, a crew issue. I think that this is a, a, a church issue we rarely have the faithful person who saw no results up on stage. Mm. Who we We platform people who get the numbers. And I'm beginning to be a little bit worried about how in my life, so I'm only speaking for me, how I tend to be preoccupied with numbers rather than faithfulness. And it's a good corrective for me to go remain faithful. I was having an awesome conversation just before this, again, with that staff guy. And he has spent, he said, I think he said it was about a couple of months studying Jonathan. And my first thought was, who can study Jonathan for a couple of months? And he said, I just kept going back to him because here's a dude who obviously knows that God's got a different plan and it doesn't involve him. And he remains faithful to both David and his father, and his father sucks, (laughs) and and even leads him to death. But his faithfulness leads him to death,
0: Hmm.
1: and in the end, you know, it's Jonathan's army that, that that's that's involved in it, and all of these things. And you just go, "Wow," or no, sorry, David's army. So, but you go, you know, he just made such a great point. It's like here is a guy who was so committed to being faithful to the Lord, to honor his father, but also honor God's plan that he was able to do both sides at great cost to him. Mm-hmm. And I just keep, I, I, that's only been an hour or so, but that's a, such a great reminder of, am I going to be faithful no matter results
3: mm-hmm.
1: yep. that we know the course and ultimately, right. That is what Hebrews 11 and 12 yes. is speaking. to. Yeah. Is, faith, it's impossible to please God and you right? gotta just, Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to see that quote unquote results. And I don't know what that results means. That's the hard thing to define it, but you're, you're going to have to trust that something better is on the other side and you may not get to see it in your lifetime, but know that it's there. And I think that that's a message for all time, for all believers. It's kind of that, here we go, full circle. It's coming back to Santiago. It's, Mm -hmm. I start out from my door, And I know that there's a city at the end of this thing, but I don't know where it is. But I gotta trust that it's there, and that's that's the idea of pilgrimage.
2: And imagine imagine a thousand years ago, you hadn't maybe you could see a drawing of Santiago, maybe. So you don't even know what the city looks like. You don't even know what northern Spain looks like. I mean, now it's you know, I can I can book hotels. I can but so but but that's you can
1: punch it into the Google machine.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you cultivate even just joy? not in the in the scene fruit but just joy in the obedience of going out and like i know that's one of the helpful things in going out uh, again and again i don't know how many conversations i've had with french people over the years but every time i come back blessed in some way because i'm like that's why i'm here i mean i can't believe that that person believes um you know or they just they never think about god or they Mm -hmm. or or sometimes they really are spiritually interested, they don't know where to look, and they just I mean every conversation you can you either see the need or you could see potential for growth. And I, I think of I love the little passage in Mark uh just after the parable of the sower there's a parable of the seed growing just mm. from, um twenty-six through twenty-nine there and in and he says the you know the kingdom of God is a as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps Night and days, and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And mm. I just love if you've ever planted a garden, and you're planting tomatoes, for example. I get excited when it just kind of pops out of the ground, like from from when it. You know, it just goes from black dirt to, oh, there's something yeah. coming up. That is cool. Yeah. And, and then, we- then, then, you know, a few weeks later, then there's like a whole stem. And you, and you can see the whole process. And I wonder, how can we get more excited about not just the fruit that you're picking at the end, but do you see the, the growth, like the spirit is at work in someone's life? You see some steps, you see some growth. And that gets me excited to continue to cultivate and to continue to sow, to continue to, you know, whatever the stage, but to care about the plant and not just me, <laughs> yeah. but and and then I adapt what I'm doing based on the plant in front of me.
1: Yeah, and in some sense, uh, Pass starts off with a, a great uh, uh, a great analogy in, in his church planning book, but that uh, you can get palm trees to grow on the tundra. But only through artificial means. And when you walk away, those things will die. But if you're patient, you can grow a beautiful garden in the tundra mm-hmm. with natural plants. Mm-hmm. And in some sense, there is—you you have to know the context of which you're in and take joy in the growth that you're seeing. Don't be upset that you may be seeing tundra grow, and you wanted—you wanted to see rainforest. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. may be what you're in. Take take joy in the cactus. Yeah, uh, because that is what God God has for you. Uh, one of the ways that I stay fresh, one of the ways that I, I just uh, to be honest, that the Lord uses to keep me well fresh in, in the sense that you're talking about, is actually these sort of things with you guys, uh, Aaron. It has been a huge pleasure, man, uh, to get to talk to you. You seriously, Amen. You, you exude Christ. Uh, I'm blessed for knowing you, and for Amen. This is what I have you. I envy that you get to see be in the sunshine. It snowed here today. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but you lived, you grew up in North Dakota. North so Dakota. I, you, deserve I you deserve it. You deserve it.
0: I know. I know what that's like. And I, yeah. Thanks Yeah, This was a blast. Um, oh man. Good times. Thank thanks you. Thanks for the excuse.
2: Well, I, for some time I, I, for yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say there's, I think there's two, two things we know from this is that we need to have you back on the podcast and yep. number two uh we do we, we, we we've got to make in the next couple of years make the camino um, uh,
1: happy. i'm happy so yeah. there yeah looking forward to that happening well uh we have exhausted the rabbit we have uh <laughs> chased the trails but, uh, but it's been a lot of fun you guys have a great rest of the evening and uh right. we'll talk to you on the flip side